buy me some peanuts and crackers, Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Hello and welcome to episode number 20 of the Sports Nuts Podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about sports. The we part of this is me, Tracy Holtz, otherwise known as Holster. The other part of the we is the one, the only... I was going to try to pronounce Bruce backwards, but I'm, I'm just having a hard time. That won't come out good at all, so I'm just going to say, Bruce! Well, I'll tell you what it is backwards. It's E-Curb Nosratap. Well, see, there you go. <laughs> That's uh, if you watched uh, um, Red Dwarf. There's a whole episode on backwards. I don't know if you watch Red Dwarf. Oh, it's been years since I saw it, but that's certainly worth looking for. Yeah, just uh, if you guys want to know what I'm talking about, go to Google and search Red Dwarf Talk Backwards episode. And it's probably out there somewhere, but that's one of the most underrated comedies of all time, Red Dwarf. Oh, I completely agree. In fact, uh, you know, maybe it's the grass always greener on the other side, but I've always had a thing for English comedies. And uh, quite frankly, I'm I'm pretty sure you've seen this, the IT crowd. If you folks have never seen that, it is a treat. Oh, yeah, that's good, too. Another good foreign comedy uh, from Canada, Corner Gas. What was that? Corner Gas from Canada. Okay. Very good. Very funny. The whole thing surrounds about this little kind of hick town in the middle of nowhere in Saskatchewan, this gas station and this restaurant next to it. That's basically what it is. And it's actually, it's pretty funny. Um, if you look on YouTube, a lot of the episodes are out there. So uh, it's a funny show. It's uh, It has a lot of the British BBC humor in it. So if you like the BBC humor, you'll like Corner Gas. Oh, I'll be looking for that. All right. Hey, before I forget to say it, uh, this is episode number 20. If you want to ask us a question, if you want to join us, if any of that, just email tracy.podness.com and we will go from there. After saying all that, how was your week, Bruce? Uh, actually, it was okay. Kind of frustrating on the fantasy front for fantasy baseball. Uh, going into Sunday, I was winning 7-3. to three. And uh, I thought I had sat Hellickson, and I didn't expect uh, Robertson from Chicago to both blow up like they did. But holy smoke, I turned a, a sure victory into defeat, and uh, I'm still hurting from that. I dropped Hellickson the next day, and Robertson, uh, I have to keep him. Yeah, for me, uh, on my fantasy, speaking of fantasy, Adrian Beltre. Uh, is day-to-day. I mean, he hasn't been back for a week yet. and He's been just sitting on my bench the whole year, so it's like, dang. <laughs> on a good news, um, Felix Hernandez, a pitcher, Seattle, uh, went on the 10-day disabled. Somebody dropped him uh, Sunday. I picked him up Monday and threw him on, because I had an extra dl spot so i threw him on my dl so when he comes back i'm hoping he's not going to be the king of old but i'm hoping he'll be a good solid mid-tier starter for me well you know it's interesting because depending on the fantasy leagues that you're in what really shocked me is that all right starling Marte uh, was suspended and you know that's a hard hit but you know for someone of that kind of talent in our league somebody dropped him i picked him up right away because I'm okay with him sitting on the bench. It's early on, and by the time he comes back, the race for the division heats up fast, and um, I think that that's what you've got to plan for long-term. 
Yep, and injuries. There's always injuries in baseball. Uh, that's what makes you know Mr. Iron Man so long in Baltimore. You know, just dramatic playing. You know, a decade without a day off. So it's just amazing. And what's interesting too for uh, for me is that I don't know how your league is set up, but we have five bench players, and you can distribute them as much as you want. If you want five uh, extra pitchers, you can do that. Um, but I split it up: uh, three extra pitchers and two extra players. And wouldn't you happen to know it? Every single slot for those extra players are either on the 10-day DL. Actually, four of them are on the 10-day DL, and one just one on day-to-day yesterday, and that was Encarnacion. So on one hand, you know, you talk about Beltre sitting down. That actually made my pickup of Joey Gallo that much better. Yeah, and you can see he went right over to first base, and he pretty much first base, especially now Napoli went on the disabled list. Uh, he'll be first base when and if Beltre comes back. So, but also on um, our league, uh, ours is a little—I don't want to say tougher, a little different. We only have two bench spots, just two bench spots, but we do have two DL spots. Most leagues have one, if any at all. So we got two DL spots and two bench spots. So uh, I generally keep uh, two extra pitchers, uh, starting pitchers, and there's days there's quite a bit of openings (laughs) on my team where no one's playing well i think one of the things i'm curious about is the new ruling that allows Uh, uh, major league teams to use uh, or put people on the 10-day dl but 10 days is never really 10 days i've got zach Britton, who's now entering his fourth week on the 10-day dl i don't know how they get away with that Oh, it's just, that's just a minimum. He, when you go on the 30-day DL, it's a minimum of 30. 60-day, it's a minimum of 60. 10-day, it's a minimum of 10-day. So he could be on there the whole season on the 10-day. I did not know that. Well, okay then. Well, that, that's interesting to go with. Oh, well, see, I learned something new today. There you go. Speaking of baseball, did you hear about Bryce Harper for the Nationals? Other than he tries to punch like a girl and he doesn't know how to throw a helmet yet <laughs> i shouldn't laugh at that but i did um he's gonna be free agent at the end of the 18 season so not the end of this year the end of next season he's already throwing rumors out not other people he's already throwing rumors out there that it'd be kind of nice to play for the cubs and cubs didn't really say much about it they really can't or they'll get you know fined for that but everybody's like, there's no way they can afford it. But a couple of the articles out there said how they could afford it very easily. That would be a nice fit. Bryce Harper with the Cubs. Uh, the only thing about him being in uh, Washington is it, it seems he never gets protection from the bat. Who's ever supposed to be behind him that year protecting him is hurt a lot of the time. Uh, and if I'm thinking right, Worth is done after this year, too. So Nationals in a year or two are going to look completely different. Well, I I have to tell you, for a team that, you know, we were talking about the Astros last week. Washington is the opposite of the Astros. Every chance they've been given to fail, they completely embrace it with both hands. Uh, from the way they handled Strasburg and his injury, um, to the way they they brought in some questionable players. I mean, Jason Worth. I've 
always referred to him as more like Jason Maryworth because uh, he's terrible. I, I mean, he's very. I don't. I can't recall the last time he's played a full season. Uh, I don't like the way they manage any of their pitching rotation. In fact, they have no excuse because two years ago, their staff was probably one of the most feared in the league. They had closers. They had everything. The weak spot here was their manager. Yeah, they still got pitching. They Their starting pitching is still studs. Uh, they got five good starters. Good starters. So if you have that, it's vile. So uh, I liked Harper as a player. I don't like everything off the field. Um, the charging the mound when he's not in the game. Uh, actually being played, I do like him. But his off the field and how he acts a lot of times, I, I don't really like. Well, you know, and this goes back to our discussion when we were talking about the NFL and how much uh, responsibility should they have for players in their own league. I mean, in some respects, we think sometimes that uh, the league maybe oversteps its bounds a little too much into a player's personal life. But then there's also the uh, situation where you have a player who could be damaging the product off the field. And, you know, quite frankly, uh, I'm not sure why Bryce, he's himself in a situation where, uh, let's face it, he may have voiced he wants to go to Chicago, but I got to tell you, you don't think that uh, Chicago's already been doing their homework? Uh, one of the things I can say, Theo Epstein is not an idiot. He will know what works. And let's face it, Chicago is a team that does not have a disruptive player on their roster. And I really don't think that they would be enticed to pick him up, no matter what his talent is. Yeah, I think uh, the reason I don't think they're going to get him is money. Somebody's going to overpay for him. Like, you know, every about four years, three years, somebody's overpaid. And I think he's the next one. Speaking of trivia for you. Washington Nationals. I saw this on a YouTube interview of the owner when they started the Washington Nationals and they asked him how they got the name and were they ever thinking about the Senators uh, bringing that back and he says well they contacted the Texas Rangers and the current owner says you want the Senators you can have it because it used to be the Washington Senators moved to Texas and changed them to the Rangers. We don't care. So, and he says, early on, they thought about it, but they didn't almost immediately because one of the firms they hired, and here's how stupid this is. This is why I bring this up. That was talking about names before they went into it, and they got into this voting thing, and yada, yada, yada. They didn't want the senators because they're in Washington. They did not want to offend the members of the House of Representatives. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, I, 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 and I was like, really? That's something you think somebody made up along the line, but him saying it, I'm like, you know? <laughs> That's just stupid enough to be true. <laughs> so so they really didn't. They said, no, we're not going to do the senators. They kind of took it off the list fairly early. So, yeah, I thought that was kind of, huh. Well, one of the enjoyable books I'm reading right now is on the uh, biography of Ring Lardner. And uh, he cut his teeth covering the White Sox and the Cubs uh, back at the turn of the century. Uh, he was actually traveling with them during the 1909 season. But bringing it back to the Washington Senators, uh, one of the funny uh, taglines that they had, uh, Lardner was talking about how 
you know, there are always things that you can expect during, you know, the beginning of spring. You know, you can expect this kind of crop. You can expect this kind of market uh, for beer. But there's also another thing you could expect, too. In Washington, they're first in, they're first in war, first in peace, and last in the American League East. Yeah, and for the long time when they moved to Texas, it was the same way. Uh, but one of the things that I'll, it will always have a soft spot in my heart. Why? Because Teddy Ballgame was their manager for two years. Yeah, and then uh, oh, three years ago, uh, I think, remember it was Ventura. Remember when he charged Nolan Ryan on the mound and Nolan put him in the headlock and started punching him? That will always be burned in my mind as one of Nolan Ryan's greatest moments. Yeah, um, every time for years, every time when he played, he came, Ventura got booed. But Nolan and Ventura really had no grudges against each other. Matter of fact, like a day or two after that happened, they called on the phone and good, good, no big deal. And they said, off season, we'll go get dinner or something. And it, 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 done, it was over. You know, that night it was over. But everybody still think they had a grudge. So for uh, an auction thing a few years ago, they auctioned off a dinner. You paid so much money and you got to be dinner with them too. That would have been awesome. Now, hold on a sec. I'm going to post something. Now, for the fans of the show, this will definitely be in the show notes. But if you want to see how amazing Nolan Ryan was, you look at his span uh, during his career and check out how many years he started 50 or more games. I mean, it's outstanding. The um, number of games played, the number of innings pitched. It's crazy. No player in the modern era has accomplished what Ryan has. Yeah, get this way. He started 770, no, um, game started 773 games. He played in 807 with three saves. So he started just, I'm just going to go started, started 773 games. His lifetime ERA is 3.19. Now some of the That's others... unbelievable. Oh no, it, it's it's amazing. And the worst part about all of it, the biggest crime throughout his career was what the Angels and the Astros did to him. During his career, one of the I'll, I'll need to verify this stat, but uh, when Ryan was on the mound for both of these teams, they never generated more than half a run a game for him. Yeah, yeah. The one thing that I remember growing up with Nolan Ryan was, he, I was born in 1969. He started in 66. Growing up, Nolan Ryan was a stud. And here I was growing up, went through high school, still a stud. Went through the Army, still a stud. I moved to Texas after I got out of the Army, got married, still a stud. Shortly after I got here, well, then he uh, uh, retired. But I'm like, from before I was born, all through my childhood, all through high school, all through the Army, and moving down to Texas. Unbelievable career from 66 to 93. And, you know, it's one of the unfortunate parts about it because I think he even felt the precipitous decline from 92 to 93, which was his final season uh, with Texas because he went from 157 innings down to just 66. And it's interesting because I don't remember hearing him ever get hurt. And even through his almost 30-year career, I never heard him get hurt. And uh, so I would, I'd be curious to see exactly what happened in that final season. But you know what? I also want to give him credit for 
uh, one of the reasons of assisting in building the Houston team because he sits on their uh, uh, board, and uh, I, I think the world of him. I think that in our my lifetime, he is one of the greatest players I've ever seen on the mound. On the mound, uh, yes, I, I think yes. Um, in my lifetime, the greatest pitcher, um, greatest player. I got to think about that. He's definitely there, right there for greatest player. But most time you think of player, you think of a, a fielder slash hitter. Uh, for pitcher, yeah, I, I, I can't think of anybody that in my lifetime top Nolan Ryan. I, I, I really can't. Player, I got to think about. That's hard because it's so hard to go ear to ear. I mean, you, you just think of Reggie Jackson. And if you had, didn't watch Reggie Jackson, you look at his numbers like, yeah, he's okay. When he was there, he was the man. I'm talking the man when he was on. Um, and players that no one thinks about that were so great, you know, when we were growing up. Rod Carew. I mean, the way he held the bat when he would come up and just kind of dangle it back behind him, you knew something was going to exciting was going to happen. So, boy, I got to think about greatest player of all time. Well, while you're doing that, I'll throw out a couple of uh, stats. So 1972 was really where he just excelled. Uh, That year he threw 329 strikeouts. Uh, That would be outdone by the following year where he threw 383. And then after that, that was followed by 367. He'd have two more seasons with 300-plus strikeouts. But after that countless other seasons at 200 or more now that's just phenomenal 1987 i think is the last time he came close to approaching uh, 300 strikeouts he had 270 and uh hot dog that's just that's amazing yeah unless you're talking about his last year um his last two years are really saying um his down year his down year was uh 1981 with only 140 uh, strikeouts. But he didn't pitch that much. He must have been injured a little bit. His ERA was still 1.69. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> His down year, he had 140 strikeouts. Now you get 140 strikeouts in a year. Just 140 strikeouts in a year, you're, you're a 5 to $8 million a year pitcher. Oh, and possibly that team's ace. Exactly. So, And that was his down year. You know, so it just tells you uh, th- this page we're looking at with the stats is in the notes. You can go look at it. It's you're right. It, it's it's incredible. Anytime somebody says, oh, he's not the greatest pitcher, just send them to this page. And until you find us another pitcher that's thrown five thousand seven hundred and fourteen strikeouts, just walk away. <laughs> exactly. OK, before we go into hockey, we are going to talk a little C F. Hell, Canadian football. Oh, yeah. First and foremost, before I forget, CFL preseason is coming to ESPN on June 29th. It's the first time you can watch preseason. So June 29th, that night on ESPN2, most of the CFL games are on ESPN2. They kind of juggle it around a little bit, though. But that's a Thursday night, and there happens to be four games in a row on ESPN preseason, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So if you're really jonesing, you got four nights of CFL if you want to watch that. So actually, I, I don't know if I'm looking at uh, the right thing here, but it looks like um, 
there was actually a preseason game played yesterday, um, BC and Calgary. Yes, yes, it wasn't televised, though. A um, couple of their early ones aren't televised. If they are, it's real local. And if it is, maybe TSN in Canada, maybe. But they really don't uh, do any preseasons until, you know, right before the season starts. Uh, not like the NFL where they milk every cent out of every person. Yeah, the it's been a week and a half now that the uh, preseason's been there. And uh, preseason in the CFL is, I think, a little more critical than the NFL. Uh, because the different rules will go over later, passing is such mandatory that the receivers and everything really have to get in gear so they can get to know each other. Speaking of that, CFL, I'm going to do a little primer right here. The different, the big major differences between the CFL and the NFL, some of the major differences. Uh, before I get into any, is there anything about the CFL you want to ask? And I'll answer it if I can. Uh, right now, no, but I did enjoy the video you sent me uh, about one of the overtime games. That it's That's actually incredible. If we get games like that, I'm totally hooked. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty rare now, but I'll explain that later what it is, why that's kind of memorable. Uh, and I got that YouTube video in the notes already for you guys. So here's some of the differences. First and foremost, the CFL field is bigger. Uh, it's 110 yards long. Because the midfield is in the 50-yard line. It's the 55-yard line. So it's yard. And the NFL field is 50 yards wide. Uh, the CFL is 65 yards wide. So it's considerably bigger. It's considerably bigger. Uh, CFL is a lot older than the NFL. Uh, a lot older than the NFL. Uh, they had their 100th Grey Cup game. That's the like the Super Bowl. Their Super Bowl. Uh, a couple years ago. So it's been around a long time. And the CFL roots really belong into rugby and soccer. This is where the roots really come from. That's why the field is so much bigger. And one of the reasons the NFL field is smaller that people don't really know is the colleges and the high schools made the field smaller because it would fit inside the track. Because they always said the tracks were always a standard you know, where you ran it four times for a mile, and they had to fit the football field inside that. So that's where our field size comes from. There's a little bit of trivia there. So the next thing, goalposts. The goalposts are right on the end zone line. They're not at the back. They're right, they're right on <laughs> the end zone line. So you have uh, uh, just like those old NFL films, you know, where the Field goals right there at the goal line. That's the same right there. And receivers do use that in their patterns sometimes. So, and speaking of the uh, the the end zone, the end zone is twenty yards deep and not ten yards deep, which means you can fully field routes. So when the end when when NFL goes down to the red zone, it's harder and harder to pass because there's no room back there. It tightens up. With the 20 yards in the back, everything's still wide open. Even when you're on the 10-yard line, you can run deep routes. So that's that makes, you know, so the, the end zone is 20 yards deep. The biggest thing people, the rule is that people really don't realize is there's 12 men on the field in the CFL. 
obviously 11 in the NFL. On offense, the extra person's in the backfield position, so you just can't line everybody up in the line of scrimmage. On the defense, can be anywhere. Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere. So they can line up wherever they want. Another big thing you'll probably notice immediately if you watch a game is there's only three downs, not four, to gain the 10 yards. So it's a lot more pass-oriented. That's what the bigger end zone and everything is for. So another one is uh, the uh, in the NFL, a single person can be moving. You know, the, the wide receiver you see running in motion. But he can't be running in uh, forward. In the CFL, any back. So if you're behind the quarterback when you line up, you're considered a back, whether right behind him or outside the tight end. Doesn't matter. You can be running forward, and you can have multiple people running forward. If you got five backs, you know, four receivers, you know, five receivers, they all can be running forward at the same time. That's where the timing is so critical to get used to because they have to time it where that receiver is full speed and they snap it right when he's on the goal line. So you do see offensive offsides quite a bit. Speaking of offsides, another uh, thing people don't, they, they, they kind of notice is in the NFL, the defense can line right up over the, uh, you know, center as long as they're not on the ball. There's basically like a few inches between the offense and defense. CFL, it's a yard. There's a you have to line up a yard off of the ball. That gives a little more advantage to the offense to where they can get forward to, especially on passing plays. It gives them a chance to set their feet for passing plays. And quarterback sneaks, they can get a yard anytime they want. So uh, second one, third and one, you see a lot of of quarterback sneaks. Next rule different is fumbles in uh, NFL. Uh, the the last team with you know clear possession of the ball fumbles it, gets the ball. CFL the last person that touches it gets the ball. That's a little one there. Here is one I really really like. In the CFL, there's no such thing as a fair catch. You, you, there's no such thing as a fair catch. You can never fair catch anything. But you have to be five yards off the player. It's not the, like a two-yard bubble in which they always overlook. You can um, pretty much be on them when they touch it. Uh, the CFL, you have to give five-yard bubble around them so until they touch it. So you will see them punting it when the ball, and every now and then you'll see it when it's like rolling real slow. He's just standing right there next to it, and they're just bubbling around him. And then he'll just kind of fall on it, you know, um, and then act like he's going forward with it. But uh, you have to give him five yards, so there's no such thing as a fair catch. Another big thing is called the rouge. A rouge is when – best way to describe it, when you kick the ball – uh, either punting or field goal. If you kick a field goal and you miss it, it's 20 yards deep. The kicker really never wants to boot it so hard it goes out of the back of the end zone because if it lands in the end zone and the other team doesn't return it out of the end zone, you get one point. That's a rouge. Whether so, if 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 I'm punting the ball, if I punt it into your end zone and you don't take it out, I get one point. Now. Field possession is so critical in the CFL that 
teams don't like getting rouges. They like to pin them down in the, you know, within the 20. So teams will try to pin them within 20 instead of the point. The only time they really go with the rouge and they want the point is a tie game right at the end of the game is when they really start going after the rouge. Speaking of that, I put the video that he was talking about, uh, about one of the finishes, uh, Montreal at Toronto, the wild ending, October 29th, 2010. Uh, basically what happened is in an, one rule is in the CFL is anybody can kick the ball at any time in NFL. The only time you can kick it is if you're behind the line of scrimmage. In the CFL, you can kick it anytime you want. Anytime you want. So you could be running down the field. If you want to kick it, you could just kick it if you'd want to. The only time I really see kicking like that, that's kind of like, okay, is when you got like fourth and 30 and they, they, they do like a sweep to the outside and the guy gets to the outside and there's two, three people like right on him, he might just kick the ball, you know, just, just to get rid of it down the field more instead of, you know, uh, taking on a loss or something like that because they're going to turn it over anyway. So you usually don't see that too much, but uh, it, it once in a while you will see the kick. Uh, and that's what this wild ending was about they were going to lose the game because they were they weren't going to get back out of the end zone for the kick and they were get the other they were going to get a rouge which they're going to lose the game on so they actually put their punter and their kicker in the back of the end zone to catch it and kick it out speaking of that on all field goals you will see somebody in the end zone catching the ball always so and sometimes two depending on where the position is so those are the major rules differences in what you have. Uh, one thing that's reversed is penalty flags are red and challenge flags are yellow. So it's reversed to the NFL. So out of curiosity, uh, you know, when we're talking about the fair kicks, the, going back to that for a minute, that must actually be good for a lot of the uh, folks who have to do the receiving. I would imagine that they don't see the kind of injury rate that we do in the NFL. I, I mean, I don't know. I, uh, what is your feel for that? No, because uh, NFL, you're supposed to have, what is it, a two-yard bubble? I think it's three-yard bubble, but they overlook that. Once you catch the ball your fair game a half second after that uh having a five yard bubble you're far enough away where you can protect yourself at least you know and uh and if there's only one player sometimes it's exciting because you can juke the one player and get away for a few more yards you know so yeah um you, you i do not see the big devastating injuries like i do the big hits like i do in the nfl they're there yes they are but on kickoffs and stuff like that, no, it's it's almost almost non-existent. I would also think that CFL would be a lot appealing to today's NFL fan too, because let's face it, the rules in the NFL have been all about letting up the offense, run up the score, and let's face it, the CFL from the things that I've seen, it really is all passing all the time. Yes. Uh, that yes, uh, the only time you'll see a run basically is uh, second and short, you know, which is like our third and short, or first down. They're just trying to keep the offense, you know, alive. Uh, running backs are almost like a fullback here, where they're basically uh, a blocker, 
you know, uh, they're they're a f- basically although they're called running backs and everything, I consider them like our fullbacks. They block a lot of the times. They'll catch out of the backfield uh, and they'll run once in a while. So that's the best way I can describe it. Now, one of the interesting articles that I read a little while ago, well, we were talking about this, how um, one of the uh, CFL teams has a uh, first dibs on Menzel RG3, um, and uh, I forgot the third, but the fact is is that um, what's interesting is that, uh, you know, you would think that the CFL is uh, sort of the, the poor cousin to the NFL, but from what, I, from what I've read, the players are really content to stay in the CFL. They've made long careers doing it. And I think that every once in a while, there'll be a player that actually comes back to it. But I think you're more apt to see more players migrate to the CFL than going from the CFL to the NFL. Uh, yes. It, there is a limitation on American players. Um, there can be only so many American players on a roster. So it's kind of valuable. So uh, very valuable when you have a running back from Canada, a quarterback from Canada. That's very, very rare. So when you get one of those, it's great because you're you're getting a primary, usually an American position. You're not wasting that American spot for that. And um, you will see a lot of linemen and defensive linemen saying, hey, they was drafted by this NFL team, spent a year or two there, maybe on the practice squad, and didn't make it, and they're up there. You'll see that, uh, but it, there's a big adjustment period. It, it's, I want to say everyone, most NFL players take a year, at least a year, at least a year, really to get to know the game because there's so much difference, especially in the offensive defensive line. It's a completely different way to play with that full yard difference. You stud defensive ends aren't stud defensive ends anymore. Uh, it, it's 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 a completely different game. So, and, and it's a lot more finesse. And it, it, you definitely have to uh, uh, you have to be in shape. There's no doubt about it. Uh, uh, Warren Moon, uh, Doug Flutie. Uh, and I'm trying to think. Uh, uh, Warren Moon, Doug Flutie, a couple others uh, came from the CFL that, uh, you know, up there and really doing good that came down. But you, you, the reason I one thing Manziel won't be in the CFL, one thing you have to have in the playing the CFL as a quarterback is you have to have quick decision making and you have to have a strong arm. Those were the two knocks on him. You know, his, his decision-making was stopping to run, and his arm wasn't as strong. He had good accuracy, but it wasn't as strong. So it, it, I don't foresee him there at all, and Menzel, you know. Uh, not, Men, uh, not Menzel. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm thinking of, uh, shoot, what's his name? He's playing baseball for the Mets now. Oh, Tebow. Tebow, yeah, I'm sorry, yeah. So that's why Tebow, that's the other player that they had the rights to, you're trying to think about. Uh, that's why he won't be there, just the arm isn't as strong, and you have to have a strong arm because uh, you got those out passes. So, and you get some of those sweeps in there. Yeah, those are some long sweeps you can be sweeping with that white field. 
So interestingly enough, I just did a quick Google search on uh, former CFL players in the NFL. Uh, just a couple, and I won't name too many of them. So there is uh, actually Cameron Wake of the Dolphins apparently cut his teeth in the uh, CFL. And then uh, let's see. Oh, and then, of course, when we talk about Doug Flutie and Warren Moon, uh, another import that I didn't realize was uh, Joe Theismann. Uh, now that uh, you, you say that, that, that rings a bell. Well, this is also during the time where uh, I believe the Redskins, on top of recruiting Theismann, also in their sordid history, tried to recruit Andre the Giant, too. Oh, yeah. Uh Two other that were CFL players, two pro wrestlers, The Rock, and uh, boy, my mind is going blank tonight. I'm sorry, The Rock and Roman Reigns both played for the CFL. Yes, exactly. Ah, well, there you go. There's some fun facts. Exactly, but uh, I really like the CFL, um, and and I'm not just saying this to to like be you know shock anybody. If there's a good CFL game or a good NFL game on at the same time, I watch a CFL game. It's a much more enjoyable game to watch. Uh, it, it The last two minutes of a CFL game can take forever, just the way the rules are set up. You know, they uh, it, it, it's a little different about how the clock moves and everything like that. So it, it's there's a lot of time at the end. Uh, so, and it's a... Uh, it's a fun game, and I hope everybody listening to this at least checks one game out. Uh, it's it's fun. Well, more importantly, when it comes time and we actually watch a game while we're doing the live podcast, I think that's a great opportunity for the folks who may not be as familiar with the game, and you can certainly walk us through you know, some of the rules and some of the things as it's happening. I think it'll be actually pretty exciting. Uh, that would, yeah, that, yes, I hope some people, so contact me, Tracy at partners.com if you want to join us and we will pick a game and where, uh, me and Bruce can make it and then we will see who can join us. So that should be fun. Uh, it, it's, I'm Jones and from CFL. I, I, I am, and I'm just a couple weeks away. And myself, because after all the NHL, eh. Let's face it, when the Bruins lost to the Senators, the NHL was dead to me. (laughs) Speaking of NHL, before we get into what's going on in the games, we talked last time about Ovechkin possibly being traded. Uh, Since then, both the Knights and the Stars have both said, uh, we don't know. We don't think we could make that happen. Uh, uh, the stars would really be hard with the salary cap. Really, really hard. They could probably do it, but it would be hard. But just think of uh, Sugin, Ben, and Ovechkin on a line. That just makes me drool. Well, it's horrifying because, like I said, one of the things that Ovechkin brings to the game is he not only does he have a scoring touch, but he's a physical player, and I think some people forget that sometimes. He's a brutal checker. Yeah, so, uh, boy, I would love to see that, but not at the stake of our future. Uh, Not at the stake of the Stars' future that I would see that. So, But speaking of the NHL, started off with uh, Nashville not looking good at all and the Penguins looking like the studs they are, but the last two games, the Predators are playing their hockey. We're going to stifle you. We're going to slow you down. We're going to take our chances when we can, and we're going to do it. You know, go ahead, try to score. And 
they're if they if they play like they did in games uh, three and four, they will win the Stanley Cup. The question is, can they keep it up? It, it's that's hard against the Penguins. That's what I'm curious about. Well, luckily for us, one of the great parts about this is that once you shake a Penguin goalie's confidence, they're wrecked. We've seen that with Mark Andre Fleury how many years? It's amazing that they'd actually ever won a cup with him, to tell you the truth, because I have to tell you, uh, all it takes is one bad game, and it's a domino effect with him. Murray, he's a little too young to kind of have that happen. I mean, his confidence may get a little hurt, but, you know, he's in a position to actually take that job for life if he has a good showing in the final games. Uh, I'm kind of rooting for Murray. I don't care much for Flurry, but when it's all said and done, I'm still hoping that Nashville pulls it out. I'm I'm hoping too. Nashville wins it. Uh, uh, I, I will admit um, that Penguins are a great team, but I think that's one of the reasons I'm always an underdog person that I hope Nashville does it. And sort of a one, sort of a one-off here. Uh, actually, let me get my facts straight before I move on with this. Hold a sec. But go on if you have stuff. Uh, not too much. Uh, it was, uh, it's, it's kind of the, the last, basically the last two games when, when I said, I, th- I think Nashville might win this is if they had a chance at one, I forgot if I said if they had a chance to win or if I thought they're going to win it, I don't remember, but if they play like they did in three and four, it, uh, if they played like that throughout, they would have won a sweep. Um, if, if penguins, like you said, the, their one weakness is, um, shattering their confidence and being able to slow them down with hard checks in the defensive zone, and they're not they're not their zone, and you know, and when they're attacking, and that's what Nashville is doing. And uh, and sometimes the Penguins have a problem getting off of offense into defense quick, and that's what Nashville is taking advantage of. So if they can keep that up, yeah. So one other interesting sort of rumor right now. Um, so it actually comes by way of another article. There was uh, something that showed up in the uh, Star Gazette. I, I don't even know where that paper comes from. But uh, there was a small write-up about Phil Housley, the uh, assistant coach of um, the Predators. But as as well known as Housley is in the NHL, his wife might actually outshine him because she, of course, is uh, the state senator in Minnesota. So I thought that was kind of interesting. But the side note to all of this is an article that showed up where uh, the Rangers um, are looking into uh, Housley becoming uh, the new head coach, which is interesting that this surfaces because... To tell you the truth, I don't know if Vino has done necessarily a bad job there, but I think their early ouster this year has made them reconsider because, let's face it, uh, Vino, after the crushing loss to Boston when he was in Vancouver, I don't think he's managed to bring a team to the Cup, and I don't know if he can actually do it in New York. I guess time will tell. Yeah. What's your opinion of the catfish? going on now in Nashville. What do you think of that? Uh, I guess. I mean, you've got uh, Detroit with their octopus, and uh, I, I guess I can see it. I mean, it's uh, they need their own identity too, I suppose. Yeah, I like it because it, it's 
like they throw the octopus out there, man, that's expensive to buy. I just like because it's a cheap fish, <laughs> you know. So the quote quote common man can go get one and just throw it on, and he's only out two bucks, <laughs> you know, for a big good size one. So it's you see it a lot more. So that's why I like it. Uh, by the way, did you happen to mention? I know we were talking about it before we went on air, but. Uh, sort of reeling back very quickly to the NFL. You said that Hank Williams Jr. is doing the theme song again this year. Yes, uh, Hank Jr. is taking over Monday Night Football's theme song again, all all my rowdy friends. I'm excited about that. Uh, It's not because getting rid of who is singing it before and everything like that. They were surely going after the male testosterone crowd because... Um, if you when Hank Jr. did it before, they showed like one second picture of him, and then it was about football players throughout. Half of the thing was in a short, short, short skirt, you know, the singers they had for the females, and they hovered on them for a long time. So I don't think it was much on the singing as it was more of a quote, quote, sex symbol. That's why I think they treated it, um, albeit. Hank Jr. does not have as good as voice as they do. I'll admit that. Uh, but I just like that he's back and nostalgic, too. Well, it's interesting that things have come full circle for me. Because while I wouldn't say that I'm the most diehard country fan, I do like it a lot. And I've actually been going through Hank uh, Jr.'s log. But I'm also a huge fan of Hank 3. But one last thing, though, uh, uh, for our fans... We will post a link to YouTube uh, of the song that Hank Jr. does called A Country Boy Can Survive. It's a great song. Oh, yeah. That's classic, classic, classic. Very much classic. Uh, before I forget, one other reason I want Nashville to win. Uh, one of my favorite hockey players, and I have a Stars jersey with him, is Vern Fiddler. Unbelievable player. You watch him. He's that grinder the center grinder that doesn't get much credit. You know, he's usually third, fourth line. He'll pop up to the second line now and then, but you put him out there to slow the game down and to, you know, dig it out in the corners and just hard player. Uh, He's at Nashville now. I really want to see him win uh, because he's such a great player. Well, you really do want to see hard workers get paid uh, for their diligence in doing the right thing. And I think that that's actually the best reward for a hardworking player. Yeah, and what I really liked when his first season away from Dallas, the first game he was here, when he took the ice for the first town, everybody in the crowd cheered. I liked seeing that, and uh, that was basically saying, hey, you were here for years, and you uh, worked hard for us, and I'm glad the people in Dallas noticed that when he took the ice for his first shift here, and uh, I, I like that. And that actually has the hardworking appeal here in Boston with the Bruins because it's very much a blue-collar crowd, um, especially anything from the Loge up, and that's pretty much in the nosebleed seats. Because in the old days, when it used to be in the Boston Garden, although this new arena is called the Garden, but is it really? No, it's not. Um, The gallery gods, as they used to call them, uh, were, you know, the hard workers who spent their last dime on these games because they were that much of a fan. But I think we lost a little something when we went into the new Garden. But one of the things that they, I think, what appealed to a lot of uh, Boston Bruin fans around here is, is they were hard. 
hard workers. Um, the team has changed over the years, but um, let's face it, you know, players like Sean Thornton have a special place here because of that. You know, may not have had the best skills, but he showed up, he played his heart out, and fans really, really like that. Yeah, it. it you're right. It, it's... Uh... If, if you have a really good blue-collar worker, most fans know that. There are some cities that kind of overlook, the. I think New York's one of them, that although they like the blue-collar, they always forget about the blue-collar. And I think L.A.'s a little bit not as bad. But, yeah, the blue-collar in a lot of cities are great. Uh, hence the appeal of the Chicago Blackhawks for me, because the year they, they beat the Bruins in the Cup, uh, you know, I had to tell you, I did not hate the Blackhawks because, you know what, they played the same level of grind-out hockey. They have my respect because the Bruins didn't lay down for them. Both sides fought hard, and there were some heavy injuries out of that series. But when the day is done, clearly the better team won, and I can't hate them for that. So, next week I got an assignment for you, Bruce. It is... And because uh, whether the cup's over or not, we don't know, but it'll be close, if not over. Your assignment is, and I, it's assignment for me too, is the Las Vegas Golden Knights. Who were the first player they take in the expansion draft? Who do you think it'll be? Think about it for next week. Done. And uh, I'm going to say we're going to reverse this. Because they can take one from each team. Who do you think they will take off the Stars, my team? And I will say who I think they're going to take off the Bruins. If they do. They don't have to every team, but they can. So if they select somebody from the Bruins, I'll pick that and you decide for the Stars. All right. That sounds fair. Just to kind of change it up a little bit there. So anything else you want to go over? Uh, there was a short story, kind of a sad story, but I don't know if I want to end the, the podcast on that. Um, it was regarding uh, Derek uh, Bugard's family, um, who actually tried to sue the NHL um, because uh, Derek Bugard, for some folks who may or may not remember, um, played a lot of years as a, a fighter for the Rangers and the Wild, uh, but eventually lost his life to a drug overdose. And, of course, the autopsy had come back, and he had suffered massive brain damage, and the family wanted to sue the NHL for negligence. Unfortunately, you know, I think the family got bad counsel because uh, the judge basically threw it out on a lot of technicalities, which is a shame because... uh, One of the things the judge was very clear on was despite the fact that the family uh, is losing on technicalities, it doesn't absolve the NHL for the way they've handled their players. So um, this is one round that I think the NHL has dodged a bullet, but I think this is going to be true for a lot of major league sports that have contact in it, and specifically the NFL, because this is a problem that will not go away. Now, whether fighting is really the issue here, I think that's that's a tough one for me to call because I am a fan of it. Um, But you know what? We could we could dissect that at another time. Yeah, this is one where it's it's you don't want to see anything bad happen to anybody, and obviously it had to come from hockey. Uh, it, it, my only thing about this and with the NFL is, even when I was playing, you know, in 
84, 85, you know, uh, in uh, 80, actually 82 is the first big contact in junior high for me. I even knew then that you can get hurt real bad, even a head injury real bad. Um, uh, so they're suing for getting, they knew what they were getting into. This is a money grab. Now, NFL, should they have hid the information? No, they should not have. And so that's why I believe they should have been punished. But every player since at least 80 knew what they were getting into. That's the only thing I didn't like. So, but uh, I, yeah, no here, no there. I, I hate to see any of that go on, but it, it, yeah, it, it's boy. Uh, but one thing out of the major sports, I think the NHL is one of them that's up front the most for the protection. They were, they, they, you know, no, you have to wear those helmets. No, you have to wear that visor. Uh, so I, I think they were doing they're at least a decent job compared to. Oh, no, I completely agree. Uh, making ha helmets mandatory was actually a huge step in the right direction because, uh, I, in fact, I think if I remember correctly, the very last player to go without a helmet was uh, Philadelphia defenseman Brad Marsh, but we can look at that for fact-checking later. Uh, but the NFL, I think this is a good opportunity for them to reevaluate their equipment. And also determine, you know, are the helmets actually good enough to protect what's in them? Uh, because you saw this year there were redesigns of the helmet. A lot of player, a lot of teams changed the the look of the helmet in terms of uh, its impact points. So uh, I think that that's something that'll be huge in the upcoming years. Yes, and that's one good thing about technology. It's it's uh, it's that's a good thing. That's a good thing. So anything before we uh, toss on out of here? No, I'm good. I'm just going to have to evaluate your North Stars roster and, and make that determination for next week. <laughs> okay, now I'm going to add something to that assignment. You also decide for the Bruins, too, and I also for the Stars. Does that make sense? So we'll kind of pick for each other and who we think for the stars. Yeah, that's that's fair. Oh, but the previous week's assignment for me was to name a CFL team that I was going to follow. And I'm going to go with the Toronto Argos. Okay. Yeah, the Argonauts. Okay, there you go. Uh, good team. Could be better. Could play better. Uh, they, they kind of reminded me of the old uh, Leafs. Uh, they could be a lot better than they actually are. Well, I'm doing it because also one of my coworkers is from Canada, and we actually have a good rivalry going on, too, because he, unfortunately, is a Canadian fan. So, you know, we're civil, so we'll take it at that. So is he uh, a Montreal Alouette fan? Uh, I don't know. I'll actually have to ask him. We were talking about that the other day. I'm going to say he's probably more of a Toronto fan because that's where he's from. Um, I think, uh, but it's it's interesting because his allegiance has to be a little mixed here. So yeah, it, yeah, if, if yeah, if you're from Toronto, anything from Montreal, yeah, you you got guts. Yeah, you do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's all I'm going to say about that. <laughs> well, on that, you got your assignment. I got my assignment, and we want to. Thank everybody for listening to this podcast, downloading it, listening to it, taking time out of your busy schedule. We do appreciate that. Any comments, questions, concerns, please email Tracy at Thank you guys for listening. Everybody have a good day. Good week. <laughs>